there are uh, some things that just, uh, they, well, they change everything. Uh, becoming a parent, being a parent uh, changes everything. Uh, but being a, a parent, it also changes with each baby. I, I was reading a kind of funny forward that someone had sent me about being a parent and having multiple children. And it said, it kind of goes like this, preparing for the birth. First baby, you practice breathing religiously. Second baby, you don't bother practicing because you remember last time breathing didn't do a thing. And third baby, you ask for an epidermal starting at your eighth month. Right? <laughs> pacifier. First baby, if the pacifier falls on the floor, you put it away until you can get home and wash it and boil it. Second baby, when the pacifier falls on the floor, you squirt it with some juice from the baby's bottle. Third baby, you wipe it off with your shirt and you just plop it back in. Right? Diapering. First baby, you change the baby's diaper every hour whether they need it or not. Second baby, you change their diaper every two to three hours if it's needed. Third baby, you change the diaper before people start to complain about the smell. <laughs> uh, last one, going out. The first time, uh, you, with the first baby, the first time you leave your baby with the sitter, you call like five times. Second baby, just before you walk out the door, you remember to leave the number with the sitter where you can be reached. And third baby, you leave instructions with the sitter to call only if they see blood. That's the only reason you ought to be calling me, right? Some things are uh, just big enough, uh, profound enough, large enough that they change everything. And I want you to hold on to that just for a minute because we're starting a new series today on the book of uh, Philippians. I'm really excited about this series. As a matter of fact, some of the passages we're going to study uh, in this sermon series are going to seem really familiar to you uh, because I reference this book a lot it, it, with supplemental scripture. Uh, traditionally, uh, it is considered to be uh, the joy book of the Bible, and with good reason. In four relatively short chapters, the subject of joy, some version of joy, is brought up 16 times. Uh, 16 times. Sorry, sound guys. 16 guys. <laughs> Got to wear the microphone for it to broadcast, right? 16 times in four chapters, uh, which is remarkable uh, because Paul was imprisoned when he wrote the book. And so in four short chapters, you got 16 mentions of joy from a man who was in prison at, at the time. And I don't know if you've recently seen, anyone watching America's Got Talent, any of you watch that? I don't, I don't watch it a ton, but I started to see this thing uh, publicized a lot of this singer. She goes by her stage name is Knight Rider. And she came out and she shared uh, as she was singing about how she had this really aggressive form of cancer. She had a 2% uh, chance of beating it. And then she sings and just blows everybody away with her singing. And in the post interview, she said something that I found really, really profound. She said, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Uh, and I thought that was a really, really profound thing. And I think Paul, according to this book, uh, would mostly agree with it. I think he would substitute the word joy for happy, but I think Paul would teach us that even in the darkest place, even in the hardest place, you can, you can choose joy. You can choose your mindset. You can choose what you're going to focus on. You can choose Jesus. And I think 2020 taught a lot of us that in a very difficult year, in a very trying year. You can still look back on that and you can see these moments of joy, happiness, contentment, peace that came from Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, while the book is certainly about joy, I think there's actually a wider scope to this book uh, than, than, than just joy. I think that this book is primarily about the difference that Jesus makes. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. This book is about what happens when we respond to him in faith. And it changes everything. 
It changes absolutely everything. It changes our attitude. So yeah, we choose joy even in difficult circumstances, but it changes our purpose, Paul will teach. It changes our decisions. It changes our relationships. It changes everything. And some things are big enough that they do change everything. And I think there probably is no greater example of that than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is, what he came to accomplish, and what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection, it changes all things. So let me give you a little background on the book. Before Paul wrote this uh, letter to the Philippian church, he had visited Philippi before to establish the church there. And let me tell you something, it was a crazy visit. Uh, While Paul was in Philippi, the city of Philippi, there was this girl that was following them, and she had a spirit in her that allowed her to predict the future. And uh, this made a ton of money, Uh, for for her slave master, basically. And she was following Paul around, and while he's trying to preach and teach and do his apostle thing, uh, she was being loud and interrupting things. And uh, the Bible basically says that Paul finally got annoyed by it. And uh, he decides to drive the spirit out. And all of a sudden, Paul caused this huge revenue stream in the people that owned uh, this slave, a huge revenue stream to end. And the slave owner got really, really angry. And had Paul and his protege uh, arrested. And if that wasn't crazy enough, here's what happens when Paul's in prison. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Talk about Jesus changing everything. That is not a normal thing uh, when when you're in prison. They're singing and uh, praying and singing uh, hymns to God. And the other prisoners, prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? This was enough for him, right? He said, this changes everything. And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others that were in the house. And at that hour, uh, and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy, uh, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent for their officers, uh, sent their officers to the jailer uh, with the order, release these men, and the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace." Paul had experienced this type of change in his own life, that before he was a follower of Jesus, he was a persecutor of the church, and Jesus appeared to him in a pretty miraculous fashion. And so Paul knew from his personal experience that Jesus changes everything, but he had countless stories, just like the one in, in this story, countless stories just like this to teach him the lesson again and again and again. Jesus, believing in Jesus, changes everything. And look how this man's changed. First of all, he becomes a believer. That, that the Greek word here just means to be persuaded, that the earthquake and all the stuff that happened there, he's like, I, I believe, right? I, I believe, and all of a sudden he believes the truth about Jesus, and then it doesn't stop with believing for him, he responds, right? You see this in the story, right? He hears about Jesus, he's persuaded, but he's like, I can't keep living the way I've been living. 
So he shows them kindness. He bandages their wounds. He was their jailer before. Now he's bandaging their wounds. He's feeding them a meal. He's made the decision to be baptized, to publicly declare his faith in, in Jesus. And I think that there is this silliness in our American culture that says, I can believe in Jesus, but I don't need to respond with my life to Jesus. It's foolishness. It's, it's foolishness that to believe in Jesus is absolutely to respond to, to Jesus. And we don't do that. We don't try to divorce these two ideas of believing and responding in any other area. If you believe in your company and you believe in what they do, you respond by working hard, right? If you believe in your sports team, if you really believe in them, you respond to them by buying the gear, getting the tattoo, right? Cheering loudly, if you believe in your spouse and you believe in them, you respond to them, you love them, you serve them well. And so this idea of believing, somehow being divorced from responding, that dog won't hunt, right? They are, they are forever intertwined. Jesus calls for a response. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you will see again and again and again, he calls for a response because he absolutely changes everything. So this is the background. This is what happened in the city. Pretty crazy. You should read the whole thing in, in the book of Acts. Pretty crazy stuff happens in Philippi. And then Paul later is arrested. He writes this series of epistles called the prison epistles. Philippians is one of them. He's arrested. And while he's arrested and, and in jail, he decides to write this letter to the church that he loves. And here's how it starts. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. L listen to how he loves them. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long, uh, God, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul starts out, he starts a lot of his letters this way, so it feels like a standard greeting. Uh, grace and peace to you uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. I think this is a hope. He's hoping for them to have grace and he's hoping for them to have peace. And it's a prayer that they would continue to experience because Jesus changes everything, that they would continue to experience the primary two things that Jesus came to bring, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, grace. I love the, the Greek definition of this. It's a favor done without expectation of return absolute freeness of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and free-heartedness of the giver. I want you to think about the last time you were overwhelmed by a favor that someone did for you. Maybe uh, you needed some money really desperately and a friend gave it to you. 
Maybe you were overwhelmed by some problem in your house and a friend came in and helped you fix it. Maybe uh, someone supported you when you didn't know how you were gonna make it another day. And your comments, when they showed that grace to you and they did that favor for you, your comment probably was something like this. I'll pay you back or I owe you or I'll make this right. I, I, will, I, will, I will make this right with you. And their comment was probably something like, no, 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 you don't owe me. Uh, we, we are friends, and this is what friends do. Friends love each other and take care of you. You don't owe me anything. So here's the gospel, that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he went to the cross, and he paid the penalty for my sins. It should have been me on that cross, instead it was Jesus. He paid the penalty, and he's the only one that could have done it, because he's the only one who is perfect. And my knee-jerk reaction to him often is, I, I'll pay you back. I owe you, I'll make it right. And Jesus looks at us and says, it's a grace. It's a gift. Receive it. Yes, certainly be changed by it, but receive it for what it is. It, it, it is the gift uh, from me to you as a friend. And I think we need to remember that's exactly what grace is, that we often uh, think about we often don't think about grace as a changing element of the gospel, that we think about grace as a forgiving element of the gospel. But grace, when you understand grace fully and freely, it absolutely changes you. It changes the way you respond to people. It changes the way you treat people. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you raise your children. It changes the way you do your marriage. Grace, absolutely, fully understood, changes everything. So he says to the church in Philippi, my first prayer for you, my first hope for you, is that you would remember grace. And if you ever wonder why, uh, I have said it on multiple occasions, that when my time uh, preaching comes to an end, or I pass from this earth, the number one thing I want said about me is, he was a grace guy. He wouldn't shut up about it, right? He wouldn't be quiet about it. And the reason I feel so strongly about this is I know the power of it. It changes everything. It changes every single thing when you understand the grace of God. So he writes this letter to remind them of grace. Second thing, so second prayer for them is peace. If grace is achieved through the cross, peace is achieved through the, through the resurrection. That the same power, all right, just contemplate this for a minute. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you. All right? Now, that's better news than you're responding, all right? So let me, let, me uh, let me drill down a little bit deeper on this, all right? This means, the resurrection means that should we die, the resurrection will give life to our mortal bodies, and we will be raised, and we will live forever with Christ, should we die. The resurrection means should we live, the resurrection power is at work in us to sustain us and help us and give us strength, so the resurrection leads us, the work of Jesus leads us to a peace in the face of adversity. Either way, should we die, we are resurrection. Should we live, his resurrection power is at work in us. Jesus changes everything. And I think that during the pandemic, this culture has needed more than ever to see this example in the church, to see this grace and peace. Grace, because we are as ungrateful as a culture as I've seen in a long time. That our knee-jerk reaction to sin as a culture is you should be destroyed, canceled, and discarded. That, that's, our, that's the way our culture treats sin. And we need this example from the Christian community that says, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. I'm not canceling you. I'm canceling your debt. You can have my grace because I've received grace. And, and it's in that, it, it's in my demonstration of grace and your demonstration of grace that they might see Jesus, the one who was perfect in grace and forgiveness. Peace, because we are as scared and anxious of a culture as I ever remember. And I think sometimes peace can be misunderstood. There are a few pastors that I know personally that were accused during the pandemic of not taking it seriously. And listen, I suppose some churches probably didn't. But the pastors I knew that I'm talking about did take it seriously. They were just at peace in Christ. And they were not afraid. And their peace in the face of pandemic was misunderstood by the culture, and it often is. I love Paul's confidence right, in verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that Paul is articulating here, that the power of Jesus can absolutely change anyone. I love this for me because I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where Jesus wants me to be, but he's not done yet either. He's changing me and making me new. He's pointing out my sin. He's helping me overcome. I love this for me and I love this for you. And I hope that you love this for the people in your life. Sometimes we confuse our confidence a little bit when it comes to people changing. Sometimes we make the mistake of being confident in ourselves, not Jesus, to bring change to a person. Right? That I, I'm confident in me to be able to change you. Right? How's that working for you, by the way? If I just guilt them enough, if I shame them enough, if I entice them with enough good things, they will change. I want to encourage you and save you a lot of heartache in your life. Allow your confidence to be in Jesus. You can't change jack squat. That's in the Greek. <laughs> I'm confident it is. Our mission as people is to point people to Jesus, and he will most certainly change them the way that he wants them to be changed. You don't have to leverage guilt you don't have to leverage good things or bad things or all of this. You have to leverage anything to bring about change in them. All you've got to do is point them to Jesus. The primary engine for this change, according to Paul, is love. That when we're pointing people to Jesus, we are pointing them to his love. And we're pointing them to experience, we're pointing them to experience his love, uh, but also to love him in return and to love other people the way uh, that he has loved them. Love is the engine. And Paul will teach this. He says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I find that a lot of us as Christians, and I definitely fit into this camp, so I'm preaching to me right now, but a lot of us as Christians, we want more head knowledge, that we're always looking for the new nugget the new information that maybe nobody has noticed before. And listen, don't misunderstand me. It is good to study God's word. But a lot of times, in me anyway, what is underneath that is a little bit of a pride that is really, really dangerous. That I want to discover the thing that no one's discovered before. And what Paul is teaching here is different. He says, I want you to grow in the knowledge and insight of love. 
I want more knowledge on love. I want to dig deep into love. What does it really mean to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? What is that? I feel like I've just barely even cracked the surface of that. What does that look like? What does it mean to love my neighbor as I love myself? I'm still trying to figure that out. What does it mean to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me? And like I said, a commitment to love, to pointing people to Jesus, saying, love him, receive his love, love him in return, love people the way he has loved you. This commitment to love is absolutely, according to Paul, the engine for change in their life and yours. That when we commit ourselves to love, Paul says a couple really important things. He says, first of all, through this commitment to love, we're able to discern what is best. We're able to discern what is best. This love gives us wisdom. It's a, a, a loving wisdom that says, man, this is what I need. This is what love requires of me in this moment. And so I, I am going to live this out because this is what Jesus is calling. This is what love looks like in this situation. And love, being committed to it, just gives us a sense of wisdom. We become pure and blameless in our decision-making. Love just helps us make better decisions. We become filled with the fruit of righteousness. Later, uh, Paul will call it uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love leads us to all of these things. And I think that sometimes, I don't know about you, I, I won't accuse you of this, this is me, but we have a tendency to gloss over it when it comes to love. It's what we expect to hear. You've heard it a thousand times, it's old news. You come to church, you expect to hear about love. But I urge you not to do that. Because love is the engine and it should not be neglected. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before. When I was really young, I don't, I don't do this anymore. When I was really young, there was a check engine light that came up on my vehicle. And uh, I, I was broke. I was like so broke you can't even believe it. And uh, I didn't want to think that my car was broken. So I took a piece of black tape and just put it over the light. <laughs> so that I wouldn't have to see it anymore. Right? I, I didn't want to acknowledge the engine. And, the, and don't do that. It doesn't end well. It, uh, it, it doesn't end well. But I think sometimes this is the engine that we are tempted to neglect. Because it feels like old news. It feels like what we hear in church every Sunday. It, it feels like what we read in the Bible, scripture after scripture after scripture. But love is a complex thing. It is confusing and it is worth drilling down on to figure it out. Because love is the engine that will drive the, the engine of change. Paul will talk about this more. Changes the way we serve, changes the way we treat our neighbor, changes the way we treat our kids, the way we treat our changes everything. But love is the engine. Love for Jesus and receiving his love for us and treating people with the love we have received. And it's when we love that we're changed, and it's true. It is true, Jesus changes everything, so let's love him well. Let's lean into that love uh, as we go through this series and then the days ahead, let's lean into it, learn about it, and become pure and blameless in our decision-making, discern what is best, be filled with wisdom, filled with the fruit of righteousness, and be forever changed by Jesus and his love for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his love. And right now, over the next few minutes, we just want to lean into it that there's a temptation to gloss over this. Yeah, 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 grace and peace to you, love, got it, moving on. 
But this is important. It is the engine that's going to drive this entire book and our entire lives. So may we lean into your love. May we understand it more fully. May we receive it more deeply. And may we be forever changed by it. Help us in our love to discern what is right this week. Help us to discern what is good. Help us to make wise decisions motivated by love. And help us to be changed by the fruit of your spirit. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's lean into his love a little bit right now. We're going to receive communion together. It's under your chair. And there's some uh, bread that represents Jesus' body and some juice that represents his blood. And this is when we talk about leaning into his love. It's receiving his love and demonstrating his love, believing in it and responding to it, that both those things are necessary in the gospel. So right now, we just want to spend a few minutes and look at the cross and remember the extraordinary lengths that he went through to forgive us and make us right and to love us well. His body given for you. His blood poured out. And as you receive and understand his love, may we all leave this place uh, fully committed to and ready to love people the way that we have been loved by him. And may his love, may, may it change every single thing, our decision-making, our attitude, our relationships, every single thing as we leave this leaning into his love to, be, to understand it more fully.